Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. up on the happy vagina podcast we have nikita gill a british indian writer poet and activist with a huge online following her words have entranced the hearts and minds of people all over the world but firstly i wanted to tell you about kindred kindred is a new app which in a nutshell allows you to share the things that you love while donating to the charity of your choice yeah it really is as simple as that you post your favorite new coat lipstick or any other product you choose from the kindred app make a genuine recommendation to your followers and a percentage of any sale goes to your favorite charity as if that wasn't good enough a percentage of the sale goes directly to you too or if you're feeling super flush you can choose to give all of your commission away you can download the app at www.kindred.co kindred share what you love Welcome to The Happy Vagina, where we shame bust thoughts and feelings around all things sex, gynaecology and female body judgment. We share honestly about our experiences, so you can do the same, leading to better health, better sex and better lives. I'm Mika Simmons, I'm at the Albright and today on The Happy Vagina we have the amazing writer, activist and London-based artist, Nikita Gill. Hi, thank Hi. you so much for having me, Mika. Thank you for coming on The Happy Vagina. We are so excited to have you here. The very first time that I heard about you was I found a poem of yours on Instagram. And the little poem, do you mind if I read it? Of course. Okay, yeah. thank you. It's a really short poem. Some days I am more wolf than woman, and I'm still learning how to stop apologising for my wild. And it completely changed my day when I read it. I read it first thing in the morning, and I was like, wow, I can be who I am. Because I think as women, so often we feel shame about our strength. We feel like we should be quieter and more timid and kind of more of a lady. And yeah. and some days I am lady. Yeah. But other days I'm not lady. Yeah. Um, so that that was just my first introduction to you. And then, of course, we became friends a little bit through a mutual yeah. contact of ours. Um, but for those people who are listening today that don't know anything about you, can you just say a little bit about yourself and your work? Yes, of course. Um, so I predominantly work with mythology, folklore, and I look specifically at women's perspectives through mythology, through folklore, and through the modern day. What is it like to be, to grow up as a young woman, especially a marginalized young woman in society? Um, my work is predominantly targeted at women and marginalized identities because I myself am, um, you know, a bisexual woman um, and I, I'm Indian. So that's basically what the work is about. Um, I think what's important about the work though is a lot of my work is about hope. And a lot of my work is about telling people that however they feel, even in their most terrible emotions, they're still valid. Mm. And doing a bad thing doesn't mean you are a bad person. It just means that you are a person who did a bad thing, mm. which I think is really important to keep remembering and reminding ourselves every day. So integrating your flaws. Acceptance, yeah. actually. Exactly. In acceptance, there's great hope. I'm just going to start today's podcast with a little quiz. How are you with quizzes? Uh, my teachers are not impressed in school, but yeah. No, okay, I wasn't otherwise. great at school either. I think we're doing all right. So I was going to say, I was going to swear them, but I went, fuck them. I'm going to swear. Yes. Okay, so your first five questions are true or false. Question one, the clitoris is the only part of the human body that never ages. 
True. It is true. An 80-year-old clitoris looks and works the same as a 20-year-old one, but interestingly, it does keep growing. After menopause, the clitoris can become two and a half times larger than it was when the same woman was a teenager. Wow. Wow. Which might be why some women have stronger orgasms in midlife. Amazing. So we've got all of that to look forward to. That's wonderful. I'm there. And I can (laughs) confirm that orgasms do get stronger. (laughs) Question two. In 1957, the FDA approved the pill for all women. True, but I'm not sure. Well, actually, that was a trick question. Yeah. it is it is true and it's also false. Mm. It was approved, but only for women with severe menstrual disorders. It oh. wasn't actually appro- approved to be used as a contraceptive. Mm. So lo and behold, an unusually large number of women started to report severe menstrual disorders. Wow. Yeah. And then in 1961, <laughs> it was approved for contraceptive use. Question three. In Sex and City, the episode entitled The Turtle and the Hare... Miranda lends Charlotte her rabbit, which therefore leaves Charlotte in the house, not able to leave. Okay, I can swear that's true. I swear I saw that episode ages ago, yeah. It is true. The episode aired in August 1998 and made the rabbit a household name. Yeah. Well done, Sex and the City. I know. I mean, it was pretty transforming, actually, that, that series for sex in general. I mean, it was really groundbreaking. It was. Yeah. And I, I, there were so many people who were so against it as well. Um, yes. Like, there were, like, evangelical groups that tried to get them shut down. There were, like, so many organizations were, oh, my God, women talking about sex on TV and doing things. like. And I was just like, but, but you know, this was the 90s. Yeah. And we're pretty progressive in the 90s already. It's hard to believe that, you know, we're still having to have these conversations in 2020. Yeah. Because there's still stigma around women talking about sex. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It is changing, though. It is. It's definitely changing. Although I saw on the news this morning that there's been... I love Gwyneth Paltrow and Goob. I think that although people um, have some questions about some of the science that they put out or the suggestions, I just... I think she's actually a trailblazer. Mm. I think to be someone who's won an Oscar... I mean you know on the outside she looks like a traditional woman and she's continuing to push the boundaries but i just saw on the news this morning that there's some backlash against uh her new her new project under goop she's kind of pictured in front of something that looks a bit like a vagina and there's so, backlash i know it's like guys come on this is the woman that steamed her vagina but this i i'm i'm ambivalent about gwyneth Paltrow because of the yoga thing and everything and i'm indian and i kind of have like you know she's it's a little bit of like um, discomfort. Do you find it fluffy? Her 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 approach to yoga. Well, yeah, because there's a long history to yoga, um, you know, which goes back to you know millennia ago, and it is very lo- closely linked to Hinduism and all of that. And I, um, it's a, it's a lot about respect. And I was having this conversation with my mother, and my mother has a very interesting approach to it because she is you know quite a traditional but progressive Indian woman. Um, she said that it's a really good thing. It's a really good thing that she's taken it yes. like to America. Yes. It's a really good thing that yoga has gone there. It's a really good thing that loads more people are doing it because it brings a lot of inner peace. And I'm yes. like, wow, mom, that's a really lovely universal way of looking at things. So I'm trying to aspire to be Props more to like my mom. mother that yes. way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, rather than judge it. I mean, I think, you know, I think if you're going to be inclusive, then you have to therefore go the next step and let people do what they want to, even right. with things that are steeped in tradition. Right. And and you have to be like, um, so for me, I, there was, this was something I believed for a long time and now I'm approaching it with like more of a changed attitude and spirit. I feel like we need to like do that more. especially Be open-minded. The older yeah. Open-minded. Yeah. Just be, be willing to change. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Next question. The uterus that is not in use is five centimetres. That's about two inches wide. Is that true? God, do I not know anything about my body? <laughs> I, I didn't I didn't know that, actually. I, I did an interview and someone said to me, what did you learn on the happy vagina so far? And I said, everything. I mean, I thought I was kind of, I thought I knew a lot about, about my, my body and, and, and women's bodies. Yeah, having yeah, founded yeah. the Lady Garden Foundation, but no. I definitely don't. (laughs) It is true. You're absolutely right. It is true. It's really stretchy. So in non-pregnant women, it's around five centimetres. And then when you're pregnant, it can get to 7.5. That's amazing. That really is. That's so interesting. 
our bodies are so wonderful, aren't they? They're yeah. like little universes within themselves. It does kind of freak me out having not had children, the fact that you can hold a baby. Yeah. Like, this, I, the whole, I feel this, you. It's like yeah. really intense. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. But big props to like women who do it because I think it's you literally you're creating or you know even trans people who are able to do it who are able to bring life into this world it's it's an incredible yeah and allowing something else to take over your body yeah yeah and then nurturing and then bringing it i think that's just i think mothers are amazing i really do (laughs) question five in medieval times it was thought that the female orgasm was necessary for reproduction this one is definitely something that I thought you might be interested in. Wow. I, I want to say false, but I get the feeling it's probably going to end up being true. Unfortunately, it is true. But it is but it is actually functionally true. Like, I only learned this a few days ago that the female what, the organ, orgasm is necessary for reproduction. The female orgasm actually opens up the um, cervix, which welcomes... The yeah, sperm. Yeah, which, which makes it easier for the sperm to go through. I only recently learned this myself. So yeah. So, it, well, so it's an enhancer. Yeah, it's, it's not, an enhancer. It's not necessary. No, it's not necessary. But it but might help enhancer, you get yeah. pregnant if you yeah. have an orgasm yeah. while having sex. Yeah. That's so interesting. I know, right? Like, I don't, like, this is all stuff I I'm did not now. know that. I mean, I do, I have recently discovered in the last couple of years that, you know, this theory around, <clears throat> I have just recently discovered this theory that, you know, that the sperm are like this kind of like army of warriors that yeah. are, you know, going up the vaginal canal and trying to fight their way into the womb and I'm the one that's going to win and I'm going to make the baby. And apparently it's not like that at all. It's a bit like, you know, the, the eggs go, hmm, I might have you or I might have you and oh, you smell nice. And then the egg gets to decide which of the sperm it lets fertilize it. Fabulous. Which which kind of makes sense to yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. That's how it should be in well humans as well, like in and, it, and it is. I think you know. I think one of one of the things that women often don't really realize in terms of relationships, sexual relationships, and I think somehow we've lost lost sight of the fact that, and, and this wasn't true it, mm. for for many years. Women understood this mm. that we get to choose. Yeah, we get to choose. We get to choose. Absolutely. You know, I think there's it's something to do with the ratio of men to women, particularly in this part of the world at the moment. Yeah. So there used to be, you know, uh, a lot more men mm. to women. Mm. So we... The other way around. Yeah. The other way around. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah I think there's more women now than men, right? Yeah. I'd be the, like in the majority with 51%. Exactly. Women. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I also got to know this fact recently and I'm like, yes, (laughs) yes. (laughs) Okay, five quick fire personal questions for you. Mm -hmm. Number one, brief or G-string? Brief. Why? Comfortable. Have you ever tried a G-string? I have and I just didn't like it. Yeah. I just didn't like it. I've just preferred briefs. It's just a personal preference. I know lots of people prefer G-strings. Brazilian or Bush? Bush. Always? Has it always been like that for you? I think, like, pubic hair is there for a reason. I actually went on a big rant about this on my Instagram stories recently. Yeah, that about how, you know, it's so strange that there's so many um, people out there who demand that their partners ha- are, like, completely clean-shaven and, like, cleanly waxed for them because, you know, underarm hair, like, pubic hair, it's all really necessary it's there for a reason. Yeah. And it's it's there because it's a really natural thing to have and it prevents, you know, because the body sweats in mm. those areas mm. and that can cause like, in, you know, yeast infections and things mm. like that. The pubic hair that you have actually prevents those things from happening. Mm. It's there to protect you. Mm. And yeah, I went on a big rant about it on my Instagram stories. And of course, there were lots of men going. Beca- and it was over like because there was this uh, model, very gorgeous model who happened to have underarm hair and was posing with it. Mm. And there were just so many misogynistic comments Mm. about this very beautiful woman who happened to have underarm hair. You know, like lots of people say, oh, it's cleaner. And I'm like, yeah, but we don't expect it from men. So are we trying to say that men aren't clean then? I don't understand because this, this... there's so much of a dichotomy in the argument. Yeah. But yeah. But also I think when with one of the things that I understand about shaving your underarm hair is that if you then use a deodorant on top of it, a yeah. spray deodorant, yeah. then it blocks the pores. It and does. Your, the sweat is actually really important to it get is. rid of toxins. It is. It, I know it's also like um, there's another uh, conversation happening about how we aren't there may be a link between like a lot of the aluminum kind of deodorants we use in breast cancer. 
Yes. And breast cancer also affects men. Like they, these all conversations which we're only just starting to have. And it's, you know, that's why so many people are turning towards more natural deodorants or like maybe washing themselves under their underarms more a day as opposed to using those deodorants. Yeah. And I think all these conversations are really important. They must be had. I think we're in exciting times. Yeah. Things are changing. Next question. Tampon or moon cup? Moon cup. How long have you been using one for? Uh, so I very hesitantly tried it about three months ago, mm-hmm. the first time. And I was like, oh my God, no, you know, this is really, I don't, I, and then I just got used to it. And I realized how much better it is for the environment, mm-hmm. how much less of a mess it makes. And like in general, I just preferred using it. Mm-hmm. And you're a bit of a period campaigner as well, aren't yeah, you? Yeah, I, absolutely. I, I, period I, poverty is such a big issue for me. Yeah. Um, I just think that everyone should have access to, you know, even even like things like painkillers when you're having because cramps affect different people differently yeah right can be very debilitating exactly it's like for some people they can be so debilitating and some people don't feel it at all but we should have access to medication to you know um even like tampons if that's what people can afford or like moon cups and everything they shouldn't be taxed as a luxury Mm. to start with Mm. Mm. (laughs) you know but also they should be easily accessible to young uh children mm. who are having their periods for mm. the first time and everything non-binary and femme and women and girls basically mm. you everyone should have access to mm. that and trans men it's not fair that people just don't have access to something which is a necessity and it's especially good. and shaving equipment there's no tax on it's in <laughs> I think moon cups would be really transforming for not not just for what's going on in this country in terms of period poverty, yeah. but but abroad too. Yeah, I think in in some of the the third world and, and and much poorer countries to have moon cups available. Yeah, young women don't go to school. Yeah, they don't. Know? There's something really interesting which happens in India. I say interesting; it's just deeply misogynistic. But in some areas of India, more rural areas, but also. I don't want to tar just rural areas with this. I think it happens a lot more than I know because mm. I haven't been to every household. There are women who aren't allowed by their families to cook because during when you have your period, you're considered dirty, right? Like this is something which I don't understand. Your expression like says it all. I, I'm uh, yeah. So you're not allowed. I mean, to be honest with you, there's a little bit that's going on. That's, quite, that's the result, isn't it? <laughs> No, it's just, it's really interesting because I just think, oh, there's some people who aren't even allowed, like, you're supposed to sleep in a different area and like, it happens in some areas Is it because it's dirty or sacred? Like, what's the history of it? So... Because did it, did it definitely grow out of the, of, of, of this kind of like belief that somehow other Like, there's a stigma around it, yeah. Yeah, there's a stigma that, that women, when they bleed are considered not are considered unclean mm. so that is a time of the month where women are considered unclean mm. but actually speaking if you look into what period blood is mm. it's probably the most clean blood that could come out of your body mm. like but nobody sees it like that mm. because you're bleeding from those parts it's got everything to do actually it all goes back to like oppression of of sexuality mm. and like bleeding from those parts therefore means you're unclean which makes no sense because basically every like what what is it 51 percent of the world basically does it or more because if you can you know you need to include trans men non-binary people and all of that so much of the world goes through their period Mm. everyone is unclear that Mm. makes no sense Mm. Uh, i don't know i i don't know what the history is and i've wanted to look into it but i get really angry (laughs) yeah i think i think there's there's definitely a kind of like um movement towards normalizing uh uh, periods, as you know, there's a lot of people campaigning about it, but also some discussion around why the young men are taken out of the classroom. Yeah, when we get taught about it at school, and so yeah. there's change happening. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not sure about about the tradition that you're talking about. That sounds um, that sounds insane, wrong, and I think that people should set up period spas and take advantage of it. <laughs> so someone should go and set up like hotels. <laughs> so if you don't want us in the kitchen <laughs> and you don't want us anywhere near you. <laughs> We're going to go to the period spa <laughs> yeah. and just stay, stay there for the th- three nights or something. Get Betty, man, No, way more than three bad. nights. There's premenstrual <laughs> tension. There's the period itself. There's postmenstrual tension. I'd say two weeks of the month I need to be out. Minimum. Out. <laughs> 
next question. Yeah. Clitoral or G-spot? G-spot. Say G-spot. some more about that. <laughs> <laughs> Most people are like, what is the G-spot? I mean, I just recently, one of the things that I've discovered, which I did not know, is that actually they're the same thing. So the clitoris, the nerves of the clitoris come through the wall of the vagina back and mm. your G-spot is the back of your clitoris. Mm, mm, did you mm, know that? Mm. I, I I did, but only recently. Again, okay. like it's so funny because I feel like all of my education about my own body to a great extent is coming out in my 30s, yeah. which is wild because I'm just like, clearly this isn't accessible mm. enough because I consider myself decently read. And if I haven't been able to come across this information despite looking into it, then someone who hasn't looked into it clearly has no access point. I know, but I think I, I was talking to someone about this and I, I think, do you not, I feel your 30s is the right time. I mean, listen, in an ideal world, we'd get much better sex education and people would be better informed from a much younger age. Yeah. I think it would cause, it would it would uh, avoid lots of problems. But, you know, your 20s are about working out who you are yeah. in your identity. Yeah. And then hopefully you've got that. Yeah. And then you need to go deeper and work out who you are within that identity, mm. however wide the identity mm. is. Well, to to an extent I, I I agree with that. But at the same time, like so I've been um affected for quite a long time with polycystic ovaries. And have you? It wasn't diagnosed for ten years. Because I kept saying there's something wrong with my body and gynecologists, because I, I don't fit the the stereotype they have for So you didn't have the normal symptoms? I didn't have the normal symptoms and I... Did you have any symptoms? I did. I had cystic acne. Can you just say what... Poly, I mean, just so that in case yeah. anyone is listening has never heard of, of polycystic ovaries, can you just say what that is? So polycystic ovaries are when, um, you know, every uh, woman has uh, cysts in her ovaries. They're mostly benign cysts. In fact, they're all benign cysts. Polycystic ovaries are when there's multiple multiple cysts growing in your ovaries and they can cause reproductive problems, which is the predominant factor. Um, They affect actually one in four women. It's Mm. quite a widespread issue. Other than fertility issues, it can affect your weight. Mm. It can hormonally affect you. Um, It also leads to an excess of sometimes testosterone being Mm. in the body. And then you get a lot more hair. You get a lot more hair. That's one of the things they look for. I mean, a girlfriend of mine also was misdiagnosed. And one of the things they kept saying to her is you, you don't have... Uh, you know, yeah. you, you haven't got extra hair. So, yeah. you, you know, this was probably 15 years ago. Exactly. And then exactly. eventually they worked yeah. out and she, she had an operation. She was fine yeah. afterwards. What, what was your experience? So um, they tend to look for whether you're overweight, whether you have the hair, like especially hair under the chin or if you grow quite dark hair. Um, for me, the main sy- symptom that I kept showing was quite painful cystic acne mm. um, all across my skin, also on like my back and everything. And I kept saying there's something wrong because I eat relatively healthy. I exercise. I don't understand why this is happening. And it wasn't a family issue. Cystic acne wasn't a family issue. And then I went to the doctor and they actually did the blood test for polycystic ovaries. Finally, at the end, because the dermatologist suggested it. And it turned out I did have polycystic ovaries. Right. And that's when they gave me the the pill. The So it was Yasmin or Yaz, as it's mm. called over here. Mm. So they gave me, that was my first experience with birth control. And I didn't even know mm. that birth control could be used, as we discussed earlier, mm. for severe menstrual or, you know, uh, reproductive issues, mm. like polycystic ovaries. Mm. Mm. And it, everything changed after that. My body, I generally felt better within myself. Mm. My periods weren't as painful anymore. Mm. And um, my cystic acne stopped. So that's how good, you know, contraceptives can be. And you what did... happens now? Do you need to stay on, on the pill? No, I, I I stopped because I had quite a mild version of mm. polycystic. So Polycystic ovaries can become endometriosis. They can yeah. if they're so not that's monitored. What my, that, that's actually what the, the girlfriend of mine had the operation for, mm. was to remove some of the... Um, the cells, the growth of the endometriosis. Right, yeah. Um, yeah. And endometriosis is quite, it's quite painful. Mm. I know women who are in chronic pain every single day because mm. they have endometriosis, whether they're on their periods or not. Mm. Like women's reproductive health mm. is so important mm. because if we don't have the information present about our bodies, how do we even know if something's wrong with us? Mm. So it took 10 years for me to get diagnosed. That's a long time to live with that. Well, one of the things as well, I think that I'm, I, I champion is is women getting 
to know their own bodies and rhythms. I think I think mm. uh, we can be so disassociated from our bodies. Yeah. Um, you know, you use the apps, use the menstrual cycle apps. Yeah. The key, you know, so that you start to really understand. Like, I have so many female friends that are like, I don't know when my period is coming. I'm like, <laughs> how can you not like? I need to know because if I'm a, if I'm if I've got the crazies because yeah. I I have very severe premenstrual tension that mm. that that I have about two days when I'm like a rageaholic yeah and and, and then and I look at my app and I'm like oh that's what's going on yeah so yeah. I just kind of like write it off and know yeah. it's going to pass yeah um so that's for me but other people that that are like yeah I just don't know when it's coming I just wait for it to come and I'm like yeah. but also. If you don't know what your rhythms are in your body, yeah. how do you know to look out for the symptoms of something that could be uh, actually life-threatening? Yeah. You know, yeah. at the end of the day, we, we, we're talking about, you know, really knowing your body and your menstrual cycle so that you can pick up the symptoms and go back to the doctor and say, listen, this has been happening repeatedly for the last three months. Yeah. That this is this is like the entire. I think you're right. Then you've won this argument about whether or not twenties <laughs> is about identity and thirties about getting to know that identity. Yeah. Nikita has won. <laughs> we should all be taught it at school. <laughs> at a, Absolutely, yeah, yeah. At a very yeah. young age. <laughs> Last question: vibrator or vegetable? Vibrator. Absolutely, vibrator. <laughs> I think that's probably the correct answer. Yeah. <laughs> I just like I don't know vegetables are for my food. Yes, <laughs> this is true. I eat those. This like, is you true. Know, have, have separate things. This is true. This is true. And you've already mentioned the fact that you're quite healthy, so I'm sure you eat a lot of vegetables. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. It would just be weird to associate that. But like, I, I just can't associate it in my head. But that's a me thing. Yeah, that's clearly a me problem. Yeah. Someone just told me today actually that uh, vibrators are banned in Dubai. Yeah, they can't. You can't take them to the airport. Yeah. No, there are loads, loads of countries where they are. And I again, that is just a stifling of female sexuality, Insane. isn't it? Although I've also just recently learned that if you use a vibrator too much, then it can start to take away the sensitivity of your clitoris. So yeah. it's advisable to keep working with the magic hand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See, you learn something new every day. I love this podcast. Every day I'm learning something new. <laughs> Thank you. That is the end of the quiz. I've got no idea how many you got right. Because <laughs> it's been so lovely asking you all the questions. Who cares? Nikita, I'd like to talk to you a little bit about your work and how you came to be. I mean, I would call you an Instagram sensation because you essentially started to put your work out publicly in around 2015 and you've now got over half a million followers on Instagram. Um, for want of a better phrase, you could be called an influencer. <laughs> No, don't Look do that. Horror. <laughs> Look of horror from Nikita. Um, one of the most positive uh, forms of influence and campaigning. One, one of the people on Instagram who I think have one of the most positive impacts and um, uh, super proud of you for everything you're doing. Before you, you, you came out or, or attached your name to your work, you were publishing your work anonymously. That's correct. Yeah. Why? Um, I think like... From a very early age, a lot of people get this message uh, that being very sensitive is wrong or being oversensitive is a bad thing or having very deep, intense emotions is discouraged. Mm. Um, And I know a lot of people have a similar story to mine because when I finally put the work out there, a lot of people did come back to me with that message. Oh, I got told that. Right. And for me, when I was experiencing those very deep emotions, I thought maybe I was doing something wrong. For a long time, I thought, oh my God, there's something wrong with me that I I feel things so deeply. It didn't occur to me until much later, which is when I started putting my name to my work, that it's actually a superpower. Mm. To feel things deeply in a world which desperately encourages you to harden yourself Mm. is a gift. Mm. And it is a gift because it's how you reach other people. Mm. It's how you're able to touch them, Mm. you know, and and change them. Change them change them, move Mm. them and make them um, feel things maybe they haven't felt since they were very young. Mm. Um, Reach a point. And that is, it's all about humanity being able to reach and communicate with each other on a spiritual level. Mm. And that is why I began to put my name to my work Mm. because so many people reached out to me going, you know what? I've actually felt that. And I began to realize that why am I so scared? It's so affirming, sharing. Yeah. I mean, really what you're talking about is sharing. It and is. somehow or other, I think from when we're very small, we um, 
it, it can only take a few occasions where you share something and get shut down for it that you start yeah. to think I'm not going to do that anymore yeah I'm not going to share my yeah. honesty and my truth and actually yeah. it's 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 empowering it's liberating it is yeah poets are supposed to be vulnerable we're truth tellers yeah and it felt like the natural you know way of things for me to start putting my own name to my work because people could associate mm. the work with someone mm. then and mm. if they met me they could realize that hey mm. you know this this person who's writing all of these things i can actually talk to them do you think that your family had an impact on or your because you you come from quite a traditional family in in ways and yeah. in ways they're quite progressive like i told you about my mum yeah. um and my father's very progressive mm. because he was very keen that his daughter was educated to masters level and beyond mm. like if i decided to go for a phd my dad would be so happy so your you dad liber- liberated you very, and made sure yeah. that you were educated and therefore could be independent i i would say my dad is quite a feminist yeah mm. mine yeah. too yeah that's, that's cool. great yeah <laughs> so you don't feel like your family upbringing had an impact on you writing anonymously you didn't feel frightened at all about uh, being judged by them about your immediate network to an extent but also like family relationships and dynamics are complicated mm. uh where my father is quite like open with expressing his emotions which is really great to see from when you're a young girl to see your father you know be sensitive and like cry mm. and and show you that that's you know men cry too it's perfectly fine i grew up with that and mm. that's great like mm. you know he's he's a very affectionate man mm. you know all of that is my wonderful. dad cries all the time too we yeah. need to introduce our dad i think so it'd be great it'd be great but yeah like so you you had quite a balanced actually to a certain extent it was open minded your it was your, yeah. um but at the same time because we came from an army background mm. there was this this um almost a disconnect sometimes especially with my mum who mm. is quite you know she's quite a tough woman and she doesn't express her emotions as easily you know That's so there's so there was a strange dichotomy there because it felt like the w- women in my family didn't express emotions the same way that the mm. the men did because mm. my grandfather that's my mother's father and my father you know they they express their emotions very easily mind, mind you my grandfather's a general in the army and he mm. still was able to be like that mm. but at the same time he was very He's a very tough, you know, macho alpha, alpha man. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. it's just very interesting growing up in my family because on one hand I felt like maybe expressing those emotions were wrong. Mm. The internal world of writers, we we constrict and see things in such different ways mm. that sometimes we put our own blocks and limitations on ourselves. Yeah. And sometimes I wonder if that's what a lot of what I did was just observing my mother and going maybe that is wrong maybe women aren't supposed to express emotions like that maybe just men are yeah when actually i went out into the world i realized it's the other way around i see so you followed your mother's footsteps and and felt that you needed to be silent yes strong silent quiet steady yeah and all those yeah. and all those things yeah it's funny isn't it the the conversations that we have with ourselves in our own heads about who we're meant to be yeah and eventually one day i think you wake up and you just think i'm just going to be me yeah Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 up front for 3 months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for a limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Yeah, exactly. We exactly. we've touched a bit on you growing up. What what was your relationship with your body like when you were when you were a young woman? You you travelled a little bit. You moved around a tiny bit yeah. because of being an army family, didn't yeah. you? Yeah. Well, well, my my dad is in the merchant navy, so it's his parents who were in the army, and my mum's parents who were in the army. But we, um, I travelled a lot because my father was in the merchant navy. Mm. Like we used to join him on the ship. We mm. used to travel with him on the ship. We used to, and it's it's really great. I think. 
you know, if this world moves to a more socialist place and more people have access to travel when they're young, um, it would be great. I had access to it, not because my family was well off or anything. I had access because my father did a job mm. where I could go join him at his job. And then we used to just travel across the sea and go and visit different distant places mm. and meet different kinds of people. Mm. And, um, you know, I used to be able to communicate with people from a different culture from a really early age, which made me very open-minded mm. and kind of that kind of person that all people are valid and all of their feelings are valid. I don't think I would be the person I am without all of these things kind of coming into play for me and my, my privilege in being mm. able to do that. In you're being able you're to inherently multicultural. Yes. At your deepest soul. Yeah. <laughs> and and what, was, what was your relationship like with your body when you were young? Um, so it's, it's very, it, it was a very complicated relationship. And I think it's because um, in Indian culture, especially where I lived in New Delhi, and any young woman who lives in New Delhi will probably tell you the same thing. Um, you are objectified from a very early age, right? When you walk on the streets, people openly stare at you and you can feel them literally taking off your, you know, their, your clothes with their eyes. It's um, a very pervasive, very insidious thing which happens to a young woman when you're growing up in New Delhi. You know, you get catcalled, you get wolf whistled, you get... There's a lot of what it's we call... It's a very sexual culture then. No, this is the thing. There's a lot of stigma against sexuality. So therefore people are kind of spying. The staring exactly. quite blatantly, but also not able to be expressive. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it, it, when I was younger, I've had experiences where people groped me um, and then ran off someone. I remember... I was standing in a crowded place and someone put up their hand up my shirt. I was wearing a kurta, which is like quite a traditional Indian, mm. but it's quite a loose flowy garment because it's mm. really hot in India. So someone put their hand up, just groped me and then ran off before I could turn around and do something about it or slap them or anything. But also you're discouraged from violently responding to it as a woman because mm. you could get raped. Mm. Like but this was, so this was 20 years ago. Which is no, 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 far, far less. Um, this is about 10 years ago. And older women who've gone through these things kind of going, you know what, enough is enough. Mm. And I think what really was the turning point was when the, where all of the international community, um, there was a gang rape in India. And it was a very violent gang rape on a bus, which happened about, I think it, it would be about five years, no, more than that. And it was filmed. Years. It was caught. No. No, it wasn't caught. It was just, they. there were these guys who had taken over a bus, which they weren't actually supposed to take over at all. They picked up this young couple and she ha they happened to have gone for a movie at about nine o'clock in the evening. They were coming home and they beat up the boy and then they raped the girl quite violently, like very violently. It was so brutal that people were just like, oh my God, like... Something has to change. Something has to change. Something absolutely has to change. Mm -hmm. And because international eyes were on India at the time, stricter laws came out about it. I still think we have a long way to go. Mm -hmm. But recently going back to Delhi has been a lot better. Mm. I don't feel that way anymore. Mm. But 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 one of the things that I think's um really missing in in our kind of sexual evolution as human beings is that that young men aren't taught how to control their sexual power because it's overwhelming for them I think particularly the younger men but all men sometimes and I think that um it but that's would be encouraged. Great. It's encouraged like this it's not just in India I think pervasively across cultures um the vir virility of a man is, is so encouraged with the language that they speak with each other, with the way that they talk to each other, with how many notches you can get on your belt. I think it's really interesting. Someone pointed it out the other day that um, when you insult a young woman, you call her a slut. Mm. When you insult a young man, you call him a virgin. Wow. And I saw that and I thought, oh my God, what are we doing yeah. to our youth that yeah. we're telling young women who, you know, maybe act a little bit more bold or mm. dress a certain way that you're a slut, mm. even if they haven't slept with anyone at all mm. and they're still virgins. I've never heard that a young man called a virgin as an insult. Oh yeah, on the internet. Like I see it all the time. Um, 15, 16, 17 year old boys being called virgins as an insult. And I see it even from 
women like wow. calling oh you you sound like you're you know you you've never even been with a woman before wow. and you're like and i just think that's really disturbing like mm. because we're just consistently prolonging a culture which basically tells young men if you don't sleep with a woman mm. you're not a man yeah and that's we need to change that we need yeah. to change all of that we need to change the way we talk to young women if they are um if they express their sexuality, you're a slut. We need to stop telling young men if they don't want to do that and you're not ready to have sex with anyone. Oh, you're a virgin. You've never been with them. Oh, you're not even a real well, man. We also need to reclaim the word virgin. And yeah. Because if, that, if that's the suggestion, then the connotation there is that virgin is weak. And actually virginity and... and um being a virgin is an exquisite thing. So did you did you not feel safe as a young woman growing up? Well, it's not even just me. I think my family didn't feel safe um, mm. with me going out alone. Mm. Like in, in, in Delhi. Mm. I wouldn't say all of India because I know there are lots of places in India where women do feel perfectly safe to do those things. Bombay is a kind of city or Mumbai is a kind of city to women in a lot of ways. Um, I think that there is... A cons- that, my family did not feel safe. So didn't, and a lot of other girls' families do not feel safe letting their daughters be by themselves, mm. say on the streets or anything like that. Mm. Even like if you're going for work or something like that, past a certain point, like mm. past six o'clock in the mm. evening, you know, and, and because there is that secondary, that victim blaming culture, like so many girls who do get raped, get mm. told, well, what were you doing out of the house mm. at like past six o'clock in the evening? Mm. Oh, why were you at a nightclub? Ooh, so were you wearing fault. yeah? Mm. Were you wearing Western clothes? Mm. Were you we- and you know like these are like th- there's a way to try and blame women for what happens to them for everything, mm. you know. Whereas, um, and I have to say this, I think like the same culture that stops men from talking about their sexual assault because yeah. you're not a man if you've been sexually assaulted mm. is the kind of messages they constantly get. Whereas assault is wrong. You know, it, it shouldn't happen yeah. to anyone, yeah. whether you're a man, woman, non-binary, trans person, this should not happen to anybody. Yeah. Right. We need to stop sending messages to men that if you're, if you've been sexually assaulted, you you're weak. Mm. Right. The same way we need to stop blaming women for their own sexual assault mm. by saying that, oh yeah, you must have done something to deserve it. Mm. You must have provoked him. Mm. Men are not animals. Mm. You know, they're not... Well, they- I think the education though, just going back to the, the start of this time, like bit of, of conversation that somehow or other, there's a, real, there's a real gap in the way that we educate around sex. Yeah. And particularly, I think, well, with, with, with all the sexes, but I think particularly, you know, I think if young men were were taught at a younger age about how to... Because men that I know have spoken to me about feeling overwhelmed. Yeah. That the reaction that they can have to a woman sexually can be overwhelming for them. Yeah. And I don't think that young men are educated about that. No. And what to do with it and how to handle it. And then you get the social pressures that you're talking about added on top of it. And yeah. It can, and it can create situations that are unmanageable absolutely yeah absolutely and it's scary isn't it because you wonder you you wonder like why haven't things changed already because the this is not the first time these conversations are happening Mm. they've been happening for at least over a decade as far as i know because these conversations are already happening when i was a teenager Mm. um and things still haven't changed so what's stopping things from changing i think it is changing yeah it is changing slowly slowly Just that's it. That's the key word, isn't it? Slowly. It's just slowly. Yeah. (laughs) If you do have an earliest memory of of kind of realising that you had a sexual power or that you had a vagina, I mean, I'm so sorry to hear about the instant of being groped. Um, I really identify my early year sexual experiences at school were were very much... um, the boys were aggressive yeah. with us, you know. Yeah. If you're a good-looking girl, the boys were aggressive with you. Yeah. Yeah. I was remembering the other day about being pinned down on the school field. I mean, I don't think anything really disastrous happened, but, yeah, but it's what not. it does, it leaves an imprint on your psyche that of fear, and it's slightly traumatising, and then you're kind of pivoting from that place moving forward. So yeah. I really identify, and I'm sorry for all of us that that happens. Yeah. Like, yeah. Do you remember a moment when you realised that your vagina is power? um i think more than just my vagina i think it was my body Mm. i just realized that actually i i love my body um and i think my body is a really powerful thing because look at what all it does for me i think 
when I was quite young, I, I went through this experience of having an eating disorder. Mm. Um, and it, it wasn't, you know, eating disorders are also very complicated and individualistic because the way we, we eat and the way we treat our bodies, it depends from person to person. And that's another thing, conversation to be had. Mm. But for me, it was when I was able to take control of my body back mm. from what was telling me not to eat, mm. from what was telling me to stay hungry and to become thinner. Mm. Um, well, actually trying to be something you're not. Exactly. Yeah, the, the root of an eating disorder, I believe, is, is a, desire, a deep burning desire, whether it be from trauma or looking around you and seeing other. Yeah. You, you don't want to be you. Yeah. Worse, yeah. you don't want to be here. Yeah, actually, it's it's you know you're killing yourself exactly by starving yourself exactly. And I think it was when the one of the first times I wrote a poem about being kind to my body mm. and being kind to it because look at what all it does for me. It like it's an ocean of love sustaining me mm. every single day. It like fights every disease it can. It does everything it can just to keep me alive mm. and to have life mm. on a planet mm. like mm. this. Mm. Even with all its problems, there's so much beauty here. Mm. And that's a gift. Mm. And my body does that for me. Mm. You know, people say, oh, yeah, you know, you've got your soul and your, you know, your body is just, you know, sustaining your soul. But actually speaking, it's sustaining you and mm. everything has to work in certain cohesion. Mm. And when I learned all of this, when I learned that our bodies are made of 93% stardust, that we come from the stars, all of this information, mm. I was like, that is so powerful. Mm. That knowledge about what my body does for me is so mm. powerful. Mm. And that's what made me, it must have been about 17. Mm. And that's when I was like, this is a powerful, powerful thing. And mm. I need to start loving and respecting it more. And you mentioned at the beginning of the episode that you're bisexual. Yes. Um, and uh, did you, when you were going through the eating disorder, w what age were you when you kind of started to realize that your sexuality was not heterosexual? Do you know, it's really interesting. I don't think, I think I was born with this. Mm. I don't think I ever... No, I, I completely get that. Yeah. I just wondered if you have any memory of when you first started to notice that your thoughts, feelings, way of being was different to potentially what your friends were. This, this, is, this is actually more the question because I, like whenever I... Uh, the feelings I had, I thought they were completely natural. There's nothing wrong with them. Which they are. Which they are. Yeah, absolutely. And I thought everyone felt like that. Ah, uh, I see. I thought everyone... You didn't everyone... think they were natural. You thought they were the norm. They were the norm. So we can't even say that, really. You thought that everyone felt about exactly. men and women the same way as you did. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Like, I thought everyone felt about men, women, You thought everyone was like you. Yeah. I love that. I, I, thought everyone was like, I was like, surely I, because I am the center of the universe. I love it. I am, I am the, I am clearly the mold yeah. and everyone else just is like me. Yeah. That's it. And it's, it was great. It was great. Like until I realized that actually, no. How old are you? I must have been about, again, it was, it was in my teens. So I must've been about 15. Right. Right. And I was about 15 and I was like, Wait a minute. What do you mean? Like <laughs> you, you're only attracted to men. Have yeah. you seen women? Yeah. Like how? Yeah. How are you like? Only... How can you not fancy Mary? <laughs> <laughs> like, come on, man. She's yeah. foxy. Like, yeah. what is wrong with you? But yeah. so that I, I was looking at them, thinking there's something wrong with them because, yeah. like, why limit yourself like that, right? But then, I went online and I was like, because someone said, oh, oh, I see what's going on. Like you're, and they didn't say it in a which is really good, actually. They didn't say it in a way which is like, oh, no, there's something wrong with you because you clearly fancy, well, everyone. For you. <laughs> you fancy you fancy men, women, you know, you don't choose the person you fancy via their gender. Mm. You fancy the person because... Of their of soul. They, yeah, of their and soul. Their smell and their smell. Yeah. You, just, you just fancy the person because that is the person you've been attracted to or fallen in love with. They said, I think you're bisexual. And I was like, oh... There's a, there's a name for what mm. I am. Because mm. I just thought, again, like I said, I was the norm. So mm. I didn't know there was a specific name for what I was. And the tragedy is if you go on the internet, uh, or at least back then when I went on the internet and searched up bisexuality or bi girls, all you got was porn. No way. Yeah, all you got was porn. So bi girls, you just found porn. So and there was is that no... still true today? I mean, you've, no. been, you've really, I mean, I, I've, 
I find some of the the comments on your social media. I think that you're a huge inspiration for the LGTB community, actually. Well, um, I, I and particularly Indian young women yeah. and men. Yeah, I feel like I don't talk as much as I should about my experiences with with bisexuality because I think there's still some um, internalized homophobia which I need to work through because of some experiences which I had. Um, but there are so many poems in my new work, especially which are about that about dealing with, with with the sexuality coming from a culture which isn't naturally very open towards the LGBT community. And I think it's really important that these poems are coming out now mm. for me, as opposed to before. When you say new work, are you talking about, which we're going to talk about, Great Goddesses, which yeah. is the book that came out last year, yeah. Phenomenal Poetry, or are you talking about the work that you're currently developing? Currently developing. Okay, because I've, developing. I've heard that you're looking at non-binary gods. Yes, I am. I'm looking at it's it's less non-binary gods. It's more um, gods who are who are of the LGBT community, right. basically, and who have been um, erased or, you know, considered n- not gods, not gods or, or <laughs> not not discussed as much as they. I mean, there's three million Indian gods right um and goddesses and non-binary gods and and these are all conversations which need to be had but people just don't want to have them because mm. we are going through a phase right now in india where um you know we have a nationalization of a movement happening over there which which basically says that hinduism is the only way to be and the the kind of values some of that movement is preaching is that women should be kept oppressed you know, and there shouldn't be, sexuality shouldn't be an open discussion and, and LGBT gods, what, what LGBT, there, there are no such things. Mm. And it's, I think it's really important. Can you not- say what an LGTB god is? If you were going, going to, so I, I I know a bit about Hindu gods, but are you, are you talking about gods who are neither, because traditionally gods are given a, a sex, yeah. male or female. Yeah. Are you talking about gods within the Hindu traditions and teachings that are non-sex i think like well or are the stories around them actively about them being with people from their own sex or both well yeah Uh, you know there's a reason why uh the kama sutra came from india right Mm. the word kama literally is the name of a god he's the god of love Mm. and he is um indiscriminate in regards to who he like very much like cupid um love is love there is no oh you know you must love only one gender or something there's none of that Mm. it's a very hinduism is a very beautiful very equalizing very equitable religion Mm. actually and looking back into and studying um the scripture now you realize just how wonderfully egalitarian and in a lot of ways feminist the religion is Mm. it's uh the constant invasions of the culture which have disintegrated that but if you look at like the rig veda the upanishads and all of that there's so much equality there which are like our old scriptures Mm. and i find that that is you know you find karma who is the god of love and his consort is ratri who is the goddess of erotic love and night Mm. you know so you've got these beautiful and you don't hear about ratri you know so because it's again she's a she's a woman god who happens to be the god of erotic mm. why why you know then again if you go back into like suppressing female sexuality a, a woman god should not be allowed to be the goddess or the god of erotic love mm. right like That's so interesting so you find really interesting conversations happening over there and i I am only just getting into like more the LGBT gods now. Am I, are you going to have to come on in season two? And talk yeah, about <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it'll be great. I think there's a lot of like um, conversations to be had around mythology and how accepting it is of the LGBT community, mm. which you don't see in um, uh, religions with with a single god. Mm. I'm so excited for this for the for the new work in in the the collection of poetry that you just brought out, Great Goddesses. Um, one of the quotes around it is sometimes I watch a girl become goddess and the metamorphosis is more magnificent than anything I have ever known. Yes. <laughs> and you also talk quite a lot about women supporting women and yeah. how how uh, we, and, you, and you've just mentioned it just now, as human beings, actually, we don't even need to just talk about women, how we can support each other better and be kinder to each other as human yeah. beings. 
Can you say a bit more about that? So I, I, because I'm working a lot with folklore and mythology and because um, they form a lot, the stories that we read today, right? Like, we, or the movies that we watch and the uh, TV that we consume, all of it comes from these quite archetypal stories. And the genesis of a lot of those stories come from, say, the Bible mm. or Greek mythology mm. or Norse mythology. Mm. And if you look at those stories, a lot of them can be quite patriarchal, mm. right? Like where women are pitted against each other. Mm. So if you look at all of our folklore, there's always like an evil stepmother or there's always an evil queen mm. or there's always... And then there's... So there's the, the bad type of woman mm. and then there's the good type of woman. Mm. And the bad type of woman always has something very against, like she's jealous or she hates the mm. good type of woman. And then, you know, the man comes along and then saves the good woman from the bad woman or whatever, whatever. And mm. it... it also, it's very confusing. It's just jumping back to the start of the the, the, the podcast when yeah. I read that poem of yours that I absolutely love that first yeah. introduced me to you. Like, I get really confused about whether I'm the good <laughs> woman or the bad woman. <laughs> From it. moment to moment, I'm like, am I? <laughs> which category do I fall into? And of course, there are no categories. Is the no, point. No. There are no categories. Like I, I said this, you know, women are people, yeah. which means because we are people, we have we everything. Are, we have everything every in us. Every single emotion, feeling, experience, ability to be every single colour. Exactly. And emotion of the rainbow. You know, where people, um, when when a man does a bad thing, they go, okay, he did this bad thing, but look at all of these other good things that he's done as well. Mm. We're far more forgiving of men than we are of women. And it goes down to these stories, mm. which were the genesis of the good woman versus the bad woman. Mm. And when we are taught that from an early age, we are taught that other women are competition. Mm. And that intrinsic, insidious thing of seeing other women as competition is what leads us to fight each other, which leads us to... And at the end of the day, what is the price? The price is a man. Mm. And I looked at that and I'm like, really? Mm. The price is a man? Come mm. on, guys. Mm. Like, a good female friendship is so much more valuable than any, like, relationship you might have mm. with, you know someone you're attracted to mm. and this applies anywhere but, I mean this has kind of come through even more in, in Great Goddesses but you've yeah. been you have been focused on this yeah um, throughout your work women Absolutely. supporting women yeah. I mean you're a world champion for it and actually there's a poem called Tell Your Daughters yes which I absolutely love and I just wondered if you'd read it for us and it's which collection is it from Nikita so this isn't in a collection at all oh. I actually wrote it for someone oh. so which which is why I love this poem so much are you much happy to share who you wrote it for so it was written for my niece and her mother so who's my friend mm. so I wrote it for both of them because Tell Your Daughters is very much about how uh, it's a con conversation between a mother and a daughter mm. and I think um so my niece had come home and she was very upset because a group of children had made fun of her. She's so young. She was like seven or eight or something. She's really young. And there was a group of kids who had basically made fun of her because she was, you know, she had a little bit more weight on her. And it looks really beautiful on her. Mm. Like, I don't understand. Like, also, there's that whole conversation where why have we been taught from a very early age that there's only one type of body that we need to fit into, otherwise you're not beautiful. Mm. And she's a really beautiful person mm. and a really beautiful soul and a really intelligent child. And suddenly she just was reduced to her body because these kids were just so horrible to her. Mm. They were calling her names. They were calling her all sorts. It just, it was just cruel. And it really, it, it hurt me to see this beautiful, intelligent wonderful talented child being reduced to what nothing you know um bullying at a young age as well is is it, it, it can it, it it doesn't leave you it doesn't it does and that's what really affected me because that reminded me of what I went through when I was young and I said oh god someone has got to tell her mm. the things I wish I had heard at her age mm. and that is where this poem came from so can you tell her yes <laughs> <laughs> tell your daughters Tell your daughters how you love your body. Tell them how they must love theirs. Tell them to be proud of every bit of themselves, from their tiger stripes to the soft flesh of their thighs, whether there is a little of them or a lot, whether freckles cover their face or not, whether their curves are plentiful or slim, whether their hair is thick, curly, straight, long or short. Tell them 
how they inherited their ancestors' souls in their smiles, that their eyes carry countries that breathe life into history, that the swing of their hips does not determine their destiny. Tell them never to listen when bodies are critiqued. Tell them every woman's body is beautiful because every woman's soul is unique. Yeah. I do just have one, a couple of final questions, but this one yeah. is, did writing or working on the poetry that's in Great Goddesses change your relationship? So we've talked a lot about your experiences. Yeah. You've been through a lot with your body. You've had to really find yourself as, yeah. as a young woman and as, and as a, an adult. Did Great Goddesses transform your relationship to your own body and your own sexuality? Absolutely. Um, I think learning about these really powerful women who were also constrained to an extent by the patriarchy or just erased, like their experiences were erased and just giving them their voices back and letting them tell the stories from their own perspectives through a lot of research, it made me realize that actually how nuanced and interesting and powerful it is to be a woman and to be human and to be alive. Mm. And all of that, you know, I, I think every book I write changes me, but Great Goddesses really did change me because I was able to write about Athena, who is the goddess of wisdom, mm. who is called, who's also supposedly a virgin goddess. But if you look into her history, you realize actually Athena's gay. Athena's really proudly gay. And I love that about her. Because, no way. Yeah, she's gay. And so her name is Pallas Athena. The reason why she has the name Pallas at the beginning of her name yeah. is because when she was very young, um, Zeus didn't bring her up. She was brought up by Triton along with his daughter Pallas. And of course, like as the story is told, oh, they were just really good friends. They were such good friends. They grew up together. They were comrades. They were best friends. Um, but they were more than that. I felt like they were more than that. There was such a deep, intrinsic woman-to-woman -woman love there um, that what happens to Pallas is essentially that there is like a, a, a friendly spar between Athena and Pallas in front of all of the divinity as a final um, final process to their training mm. because they've both been trained to be warriors. Mm. Pallas, because divine bloodlines work differently, Pallas is mortal, even though she's the daughter of a god. So I think she's a demigoddess. Mm. Um, so she's mortal, like she she can die, right? And she gets distracted by something. Zeus actually distracts her because he can see On that, purpose? On purpose. Because Sneaky. he can see Athena, his daughter, is going to lose to Pallas. And Athena wouldn't have minded because she loves Pallas. Mm. And Athena actually impales her with a spear. Wow. And she kills her the love. woman she loves. And wow. it's such a deep, terrible moment. Mm. And... Because she's in mourning, she names, she gives herself the name Pallas at the beginning of her name Pallas so that she Athena. never, yeah, she never forgets, she never forgets Pallas, which I think, beautiful. I mean, I don't think that she would do that for a friend. I think she would do that for a lover, mm. which is why I wrote that poem into my book about mm. what a deep, beautiful love that was. Mm. And she never loves another again. So did again. it validate you? I mean, actually, just before we started recording, we were, yeah. you, were, <laughs> you were talking about how comfortable you are now with some of the things that you've been through in your life and your sexuality, that you yeah. feel at peace and that you've healed things. So do you feel like Great Goddesses, to a certain extent, was kind of the final nail in the coffin with some of your potential demons or experiences yes. that, that have happened to you? Absolutely. I think writing Great Goddesses, Fierce Fairy Tales, all of those books have led me to writing this current book, which I'm working on, which is very personal. Mm. You know, it's... it's uh, it is you. Yeah, it's semi-autobiographical mm. in a lot of ways. Mm. Um, and it's about a young girl who the goddesses, the Hindu goddesses keep coming to and telling stories to as she grows up. Mm. So it's a novel in verse in a lot of ways. And it's a very deep look at religion, but it's also a deep look at, like, sexuality, mm. you know, and, and first loves and what are first loves and, and just growing up in, in India and especially being Kashmiri and having an identity which has been politicized from before I was born, mm. you know, being Sikh, being Kashmiri, being, you know, mm. Indian, all of these things. Mm. It's just really interesting, like where great goddesses got me to mm. so that I could write that book. Yeah. And I think it's really lovely how a book leads to another book. Yeah. So, yeah. And you're giving uh, yet, yet another generation and uh, 
a voice to, to even more people yeah. by writing it. Speaking of voices, my last question for you today is if your vagina had a voice <laughs> and could talk, what would it say to you today? I think it would just say like, thank you. Mine <laughs> <Mainly>, too. <laughs> I just think it would say thank you. It's like, thank you for acknowledging that um, that I exist and I'm, I'm an important part of you and I'm not something to be ashamed of. Well, I think also you, you've got great respect for your vagina. Yeah. L- allowing it to be exactly what it wants and, and be with the people it wants to and not repressing yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And, and liberating so many other people by doing yeah. that. Well, yeah, I, I, I try to, to live my truth at the best I can. Yeah. And I think it's really important for everyone to do that. And it preaches that in every religion I look into. Just yeah. live your truth and hurt no one with yeah. it. Yeah. Thanks for listening, everyone. I hope you found the episode enlightening and empowering. And a mega thank you to our sponsors today, Kindred. Kindred has the capacity to make a huge difference in the way we give, as every transaction made will benefit a charity of your choice. So get downloading at www.kindred.co. That's www.kindred.co. Kindred, share what you love. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.